So if you would turn to 1 John chapter 5, we'll finish uh, chapter 5 up before we move on to 2 John. John is now going to conclude with three truths, three things that we need to not forget. You might look at this uh, as a way that he's kind of wrapping up the thoughts that he's given us thus far in this letter. Remember these letters were written to the church, for the church, about the church, to people who love the Lord. And so these are instructions to us uh, as believers, speaking into your life and to my life. And, and we'll pick up in verse 14 and finish, finish this chapter. But there are really three central things that are contained in these remaining verses And there are things that you would think that we as the church wouldn't struggle too much with because they should be central to our faith. One is that God answers prayer. God answers prayer. As a church, we believe God answers prayer. And can I tell you, there's a lot of the church that prays like God doesn't answer prayer because they either don't pray much at all, if at all, or they pray in a way so that they don't really act like they believe they play pray in unbelief or they pray outside of God's will but God answers prayer a second thing that we're going to be reminded to not forget is that the church the body of Christ Christians we who have named the name of the Lord come to faith in Christ believed on the only begotten son of God we who love the Lord should not live in habitual sin The church has not been called into sinfulness, but out of sinfulness. Amen? And so we're going to get reminded of that. And then third and finally, the Christian life is really the only life that's actually worth living. People will say, well, you know, I live for this or I live for that. Look, I live for Jesus Christ. That's why I still live. The life that I live, I live for him because of him. He's bought and paid for my life, and my life now is his. And and so Jesus is not a little part of my life. Jesus is my life as a believer, and it's the only real life. And so as we pray, we're going to ask God to speak to us, and we'll begin in verse 14. Father, thank you, Jesus, for your prayer, that high priestly prayer in John 17, where you declared that you wanted the Father, your Father, our Father, to sanctify us, your kids, by your truth, because your word is truth. Lord, we declare today your word is truth. We agree with the psalmist, the entirety of your word is truth. Every one of your righteous judgments will endure forever. And so, Lord, as we read your word, would you give us a heart to receive what your spirit would say to the church? Help us to not forget these things. In Jesus' name, amen. Verse 14 here in 1 John chapter 5. And now, this is the confidence that we have in him. God wants us to be confident. We we are to have a relationship where we know that we know. John's reminded us of this central truth a number of times here in this first letter. But notice what is said next. And I want you to be very careful to underline this verse, highlight, if you have a electronic device, I want to encourage you, go to the bookstore after service and get an actual Bible. Um, you know, it, it's, it's cool. I mean, I'm not down on you if you've got a phone and you're tracking along with us, but 
Uh, it is really tough to repetitively underline things on a phone, okay? So go buy a Bible. They're at cost. We, we basically give them to you, okay? If we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. Notice it doesn't say if we ask him anything. If we ask whatever we want, it says if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. And if we know that he hears us, which is a statement, not a question, he does hear us when we ask according to his will. He does hear us. Whatever we ask, we know that we have the petitions that we have asked of him. Be very careful how you interpret this verse. Because many people consider this a genie verse. It's like you pull out your magic Bible, you rub the cover three or four times, and whatever you ask of God, he's got to give you. That's not what it says. First and foremost, it says if you ask anything in his will, he hears you. He says then subsequently to that, that if you ask according to his will, that those things have been put into God's to-do box. He hears you. It doesn't say you're going to get what you've asked for. It says when you ask, you know that God is listening if you're asking according to God's will. It is there that people have problems with their prayer life. And so these three things, and we'll look at them one at a time. God does answer prayer. Let me be very clear. God answers prayer. But he answers the right kind of prayer. He, he does not answer the prayers affirmatively of the things that we ask him when they're not in alignment with his will. He's not going to give you something other than what he already knows is best for you. So in that sense, the easiest way for us to understand this as human beings with finite minds is to recognize that God only answers prayer in one of three ways. He has exactly three answers. Three answers. There are no others. Now, you can look at them as slightly different ways to say one of these three answers, but God will either say affirmatively yes and amen and say yes, or God will say negatively and say no. It's like, no, Jeff, I'm not going to do that for you. Or the one that none of us want to hear, it's not time, not now, you need to wait. That's all the answers God has in his bag. He's either going to answer yes or no or you need a little more time or history needs a little more time or that person needs a little more time or the situation hasn't matured yet. I'm not ready to answer that for you so you need to wait and then you'll get one of the other two answers which is yes or no. Those are the only answers we get from God. Now you could say, well, that's a maybe, or that's a kind of sorta, whatever you want to, however you want to hybridize this. The bottom line is, because God is who he says he is, he is sovereign in all of the universe, he knows exactly what he's going to say, and he knows exactly why he's going to say it, so you're going to get a yes, a no, or a wait. You see, when God begins to speak to us, we have to be listening according to the way we should be praying. And let me give you a reminder, these slides are on the internet, you can download them, you can try and scribble all these verses down if you want, or you can trust me, they're actually there. 
So if you want to write them down, you want to take a picture, go for it. But there are some things that we need to know about our prayer life. Because sometimes we feel like our prayers are bouncing off a concrete lid inside of our house. It's like God's not listening. No, God is listening, but he is actually waiting for us to ask the right question at the right time about the right thing so that he can answer it for us. He's laid down conditions whereby we are most likely to get the answer we're looking for. And let me share some of those things with you. You have to have a heart that is uncondemned in order for you to talk to God in a way that's meaningful. You you can't have negativity about that situation. So if you're praying for God to actually overlook your sin so that he can give you what you want... You can be pretty positive he's not going to give you an affirmative answer to that prayer. Your heart needs to be uncondemned. If there's something wrong with you, God is going to correct you before he gives you the answer to the problem. God wants us to be clear. God wants us to be clean. If we confess our sin, he is faithful and just to forgive and to cleanse us. And that is an important part of a dynamic prayer life. God doesn't want your prayers coated in trash. So we need to have a right heart with God when we ask God for anything. Psalm 66 says that unconfessed sin is such a serious obstacle that it's also an obstacle to our prayer life. The prophet Isaiah said exactly the same thing. Your sins have separated you from God so that God does not hear your prayer. Even as a believer, if we want to talk to God, we need to talk in a way that he's going to listen. And he does not want us to bring all of our trash and say, Lord, I'm just going to spew on you. If you're married and you're here today, 1 Peter chapter 3 reminds us that if there's something between you and your spouse, you can count on your prayer life being hindered. Get the stuff squared away in your marriage. Because if there's tension in your home, if you're not right with your spouse, you're not going to be right with God either. You've got to get it squared away. Jesus in Matthew chapter 5, he's speaking in the Sermon on the Mount. He says, if there's something between you and another believer, go get the thing squared away with the other believer and then bring your sacrifice to the Lord. Then bring your prayers to the Lord. Go talk to that person and get that squared away because while you've got that going on, there's active sin in your life. You know about it and God's going, square that away first. These things are important to us for a vibrant prayer life if we want God to speak into our lives directly and consistently. We need to be in a place where he can do that. Both in this chapter and also in Matthew's gospel. Again, Jesus is the one speaking in Matthew 6. How does he pray? He says, Father, your will be done. If Jesus prays, Father, your will be done, how much more do you think we should pray, Father, your will be done? And here's the problem. And I'm going to speak to an issue right now that is tender in our society. You do not need to ask God if it is okay for you to engage in homosexual behavior. You don't need to ask God if it's okay to marry someone of the same gender. Why? Because he's already declared that sin. It will never be his will. 
You cannot ask God to bless something that he has already told you is not okay with him. Now let me also be clear. The same is true for the person who's living with their girlfriend and not married. The same is true for the drunk. The same is true for the doper. The same is true for the thief. The same is true for the liar. The same is true for all sin of every flavor. You don't need to ask God to bless your sin because he's not gonna. You don't have to ask him if that relationship that you're in that doesn't honor him somehow can be made to honor him. Get out of the relationship and then ask God to put you in the right relationship that does honor him. We cannot have prayer lives where we're asking God to bless our mess. He will only bless that which is in his will. Amen? These are secrets to effective prayer life. Can I also tell you that God has promised to supply all of your needs and not all of your greeds? He hasn't said he's going to give you everything every day. My God shall supply all of my needs according to his riches and glory in Christ Jesus. It doesn't say that you get anything you ask of him. Again, it's according to his will. So if God's will for you is that you not be in that place because he knows what's going to happen if you do, then you can count on him giving you an answer you probably don't want. No, that's just not for you, Jeff. Or when he's talking to me like that, he usually calls me Jeffrey. (laughs) So what does God's will look like for us as a believer? And I want to give you just a very simple acronym. It's just three letters, CAB. So you could say, if you want to know God's will, call a cab. Way to remember it, okay? It's real simple. If God's commanded it, guess what? He actually means it. So it's up to us to do it. It's not us to badger and pester the Lord because we don't like what he's already said, i.e. the issues of sin that I just mentioned. You don't need to badger God to get him to change his mind on something that he declared is not okay with him. So if God's word says you shouldn't do it, don't do it. And if God's word says you should do it, you need to do it. Guess what? You need to be forgiving. You need to be merciful. You need to be gentle. You need to be kind. You need to be loving. You don't have to ask him to accept your drunkenness. It's not okay. He's already commanded you should not be drunk with wine, period which leads unto dissipation. So anything that dissipates your mental capacity is not okay with God. You don't have to ask him if that party that you want to go to where that's going to be the outcome is okay with him. He's already told you the answer. So very often what happens is we start kind of asking God to change his tune. I know what his word says, but I don't like what it says, so I don't want to do that. So I'll turn it into number two. Well, maybe I can do it. It's allowable. So what happens is, instead of us just believing what God says, we change it into something it's not, and we act as if God's kind of, sort of, maybe okay with it, so we'll just bend the rules a little bit. Here's the problem. God is never going to place into your life as his will anything that will ever harm you, harm others, or cause you to be mastered by anything because you have one master and it's him. So when you're looking at God's 
will, if he has already spoken on it, that's what he's going to say. If his word says it, you got to do it. If his word says not to do it, you don't do it. If it's allowable, then you have to look at it from the standpoint, can this master me? Will this take control of my life? Can I tell you there's some things that will take control of your life? Greed. Food. Sex, drugs, and rock and roll. Well, maybe not rock and roll, but definitely the other two. No, there are all kinds of things that can end up mastering you because you dedicate yourself to those things and then ultimately you start serving those things instead of the Lord. So if it's allowable, you better be careful. It doesn't harm anybody else and it doesn't harm you and it can't gain mastery over you. People always say, well, it's so hard. It's not as hard as we make it out to be sometimes. And then finally, if the first two aren't good enough for you, let's go to number three. Is it God's best for you? What does the scripture actually say about this particular principle? That means it's perfectly in God's will. It is exactly what God wants. It is the very best thing coming out of your life that will glorify, bring praise to his name, honor to God, so that you are the most useful to the Lord. You see, a lot of people will say, well, I don't know if it's God's will, but they do know that it's not going to glorify the Lord. They do know that it has no praiseworthy thing about it. They do know that actually if they did it a different way, God would be more glorified. You see, we say we don't know God's will when in fact we actually do know that the direction we're heading is not God's will. But we don't like the fact that we know that. So when you're looking for God's will, call a cab. Amen? It's kind of like a designated driver. I'm calling the Holy Spirit right now. Lord, show me the verse that says I should do this one way or another. If it's there, that's my, that's my plan. God, if you're going to allow it, I don't want anything to master me. What's the first commandment? Thou shalt have, guess how many other gods before God? Zero. So anything that masters you is automatically another god. So if that's drugs or if that's alcohol or that's a sexual relationship or that's money, or that's, here it goes, I'm going to get the emails, food. (laughs) If you're addicted to double-doubles, then you need to stay out in and out, okay? (laughs) Just don't do it. Resist the devil, and he will flee from you. (laughs) Amen? You go in there and you, I don't know what they put in the the steam that comes out of the vents, out of in and out, but I think it's crack. You're out in the parking lot, and you're like... (sighs) You start getting the jitters. That's called mastery. You no longer can control yourself. It's much more simple than we like to think, isn't it? We want to pray in God's will we want to pray according to god's word amen that's how we hear the voice of god so clearly i don't really have to pray too much about me praying more did you know that 
You know, because the Bible says pray without ceasing. That's more, always. Got it? You, you see, it is a lot more simple than we make it out. But we so focus on the things that we don't know that we forget what we do know. We need to focus on what we do know about God's character and how he works. He's told us a ton of things about himself. And so it's up to us to do it. A second thing. Real believers, Christians, check this out. Verse 16, if anyone sees his brother sinning a sin which does not lead to death, he will ask and he will give him life to those who commit sin not leading unto death. He's saying, look, there are some things that you can do that aren't going to you know, kill you eternally. There are some things that may not take your life. However, there's a sin leading to death. I do not say that he should pray about that. Amen? You realize what he's saying here. If you know, if you read those lists in Romans chapter 1, 1 Corinthians chapter 6, Galatians chapters 5 and 6, where you're talking about the fruit of the Spirit versus the fruit of the flesh, when you look at those things that are contained in there, you don't have to pray about adultery. Do you understand what I'm saying? You don't have to pray that God would give you a new husband. You already have one. You do not have to pray about a new wife. You already have one. Why do I say that? Because the Bible clearly states that God hates divorce. So the only option, if you're already married, is you get a divorce. You don't need to pray that God would break up your marriage. He's not going to do it. You might. Sin might. It may, may become an inevitable conclusion. But you don't have to pray about it because God's already answered that question for you. It's already spoken into your life. You do not need to pray about that. All unrighteousness is sin. How much unrighteousness is sin, church? Every last bit of it. What is unrighteousness? It's anything that does not meet God's holy standard. Yikes. So there's a few more things in there that we like to think are unrighteous, amen? Including bitterness, anger, hatred, unforgiveness selfishness you see there's a lot of things that go in the category of unrighteousness that we as believers should not practice and there's a sin that not leading unto death for we know that whoever is born of god does not sin but he who has been born of god keeps himself can i remind you that there's some of this that's on you if you move into the devil's playground, guess what's going to happen? You're probably going to sin. There's a part of this, just as James reminds us there in James chapter 2, James chapter 4, when you look at what James is saying about sin in the life of the believer, he's reminding us, look, you need to resist the devil. Not call him up on the phone and say, hey, can we hang out? And yet I know Christians that do that very thing. They know something is not okay with God and they go engage in it anyway and they wonder why there's sin in their life. If you've got a problem with an area of sin, you need to resist that. You keep yourself in that sense. Not that you're going to have victory in and of yourself, but you've got to help God out, help you, Amen. Just say, look, I know I'm not going there. I know what's on the other side of that. And the wicked one does not touch him. Why? 
Because you've resisted the devil. The Bible says if you resist the devil, he'll flee. And conversely, it says if you don't resist the devil, he's going to camp in your house. He's going to hang out with you. He's going to move in. You're going to see him in his bathrobe in the morning. Comes El Diablo, say, what's up? (laughs) You know what I'm saying? Look, you guys are bright. You know exactly what God's word says about this. So do it. Amen? You invite the devil in, he's going to come in. He's going to say, okay. Now that you've invited me, but we know that we are of God and the whole world lies under the sway of the wicked one. Look, you, you fight an enemy that's, that's absolutely formidable. When you read Ephesians chapter 2, you're going to find something out. You are fighting against the world, which it says here too, by the way. The whole world lays under the influence of the wicked one. That's why the world and its systems are against us. And I'm not saying, you know, I'm not talking about the Illuminati. I'm talking about the world system that's controlled, in essence, by the wicked one. You don't think some of those commercials you see on TV aren't from the devil? Because he knows exactly the second part of this, because you also still have flesh, amen? What do those commercials appeal to? Your flesh. The system is the devil's. It appeals to your flesh. You you see, that's that three-part system. You you have to resist that. And if you continue to feed it, guess what's going to grow? It's going to be your flesh, amen? Satan's not called the deceiver for no reason. He's not called the liar for no reason. He's not called the originator or the father of all lies for no reason. He's not called the destroyer for no reason. He's not called death for no reason. He's not called a roaring lion for no reason. And so you can expect the systems that he puts forward are going to try and lie to you and kill you and eat you. That's what the world wants to do. Connie and I crack up sometimes. You know, we're kind of, well... We're insane Dodger fans. We have bobbleheads on our TV stand, just saying. We're kind of weird. But you're watching the commercials with the Dodger game. You're like, yeah, it's great. Oh, awesome pitch. And then all of a sudden it comes on. Have you ever noticed how there's no ugly people that go to casinos? <laughs> Heard not a single ugly person that goes to a casino. And they got pockets full of cash. What they don't show is what happens after you go there for a while and you come out, you're not only ugly, you got no cash. <laughs> Why? Because the devil's going, oh, well, you can lend, oh, you're going to get a, a brand new Audi if you just go and drop your mortgage payment. <laughs> He's a liar. He's a deceiver. He wants to take everything you have. And use it for his own glory. And the Lord's telling you, don't do it. Don't do it. Don't practice those things that can lead you into further sin. 
you got, you got to practice the things that lead you towards the Lord. And guess what? That's going to look like Jesus. It's going to be godliness. It's going to be contentment, which is great gain. There are some things we need to do. Look, we need to stay close to the Lord, amen? I need to stay close to Jesus. That's what I need to do. He wants to be close to me, but I can run away if I want to. I can go someplace I'm not supposed to be. I need to stay away from trouble, amen? There's a lot of trouble. I need to do my best to stay away from it. People wonder why they get in trouble when they run to trouble. It's like, well, duh. It's like, what did you expect? Well, I I didn't think that I would, because I'm a Christian. You're also not Captain America. You're not Wonder Woman as far as sin's concerned. You don't have special powers. You have the power of the Holy Spirit, and the Holy Spirit's staying outside the door when you're going into the party. Holy Spirit's going, don't go in. But you go in, you're going to subject yourself to things that you shouldn't see, things you shouldn't do, places you shouldn't be, people you shouldn't be with. This ought to be simple for us. Know your Bible. If God's commanded it, if he said it, we already know what his will is. One of the ways that we can resist the devil is by knowing the truth, amen? It is the truth that sets us free, and yet a lot of Christians walk around, well, I don't know. When your Bible absolutely speaks to that issue that you're talking about, but we don't stop long enough to actually read it. It's like we think if we just carry it around, somehow it'll transfer into us. We had a guy like six months ago that came to the church. And I'm always a little leery of people who bring their Bible still in the box. <laughs> Just saying, so if that's you, I'm sorry. But, but he takes out his Bible and it, it, it literally looks like it's compressed into a piece of gold. The, the pages have never been ruffled. And he wanted to debate the Bible with me. I said, well, which Bible are we debating? The one that's in your box or the one that should be in you? The Bible doesn't do you a bit of good if it's still in the pages and not in your heart. Amen? This next one will stun some of you. Don't dabble in dung. Just saying, stay out of the cow field. Don't go there. Keep yourself in the love of God, Scripture says. We're not to to go in those places where we know we're going to get dirty. Stay out of it. And practice makes perfect. Whatever you practice, you're going to get good at it. Amen? You know, we're in the end of the NBA season. You sit there and you, you watch. And people talk flippantly about this. Oh, well, he's only 44 for 45 on his free throws. There's not a person in this room that can shoot five of them in a row. Maybe some of you. If I disrespected anyone, I'm sorry. But the bottom line is, you don't get that good at shooting free throws by going out there every three weeks and shooting four of them. You get that good at free throws, it is drilled into every muscle in your body. This is what this shot looks like. 
And all you got to do is notice when somebody gets a little ding, they get hit on an elbow, they get, they get slapped someplace in the face, and now all of a sudden something's not perfect, that's when they miss. What you practice, you get perfect at. If you practice God's word, you're going to get really good at it. But if you practice the world stuff, you're going to get really good at that. Don't practice. And finally, the third thing, and we'll wrap this up. Our lives in Christ are the only life really worth living. Verse 20. And we know that the Son of God has come. He's come. The whole world recognizes that Jesus has come. They have different understandings of what he came for, but very few people will actually deny that Jesus Christ existed. Jesus came. He's given us understanding that we may know him who is true. Your Bible is truth. We sang about it, amen? He is the way, he is the truth, and the life. So when we think about Jesus, it's not just good suggestions. It's something that we should look at as truth. I was talking to a young man last week, and and as I was talking to him, and I actually understood what he was saying. But I wanted to show you the fallacy of this. He said, well, I try and add Jesus into everything. And while he meant that as a positive statement, and I actually took it as a positive statement, there's actually a very grave danger in that. Jesus is not an additive. Jesus is everything. You begin with Jesus. You begin with the word. He is central. He's the building block of everything else. If you try and just add Jesus into stuff, then you will never have enough Jesus. You want all Jesus, and then other stuff may come and land on the outside, but not get to the inside. You see, my life is Christ. It's not just in Christ, which it is. It's not just for Christ, which it is. My life is Christ. For me to live is Christ, Paul said, and to die is gain. Amen? So he's not an additive. You see, he's not an idol either. Some people almost treat Jesus like an idol. They only worship him here. They go to a place and that's where they worship Jesus. And I pray that's not you. Jesus is supposed to be the centrality of our existence. That we are in him who is true in his son, Jesus Christ, and this is the true God. We're not supposed to have the first commandment, amen? No God's before him and eternal life. And little children, keep yourselves from idols. You, you, you have to make sure that you're not in a place where something's going to get mastery over you. You have to decide today who you're going to serve. Joshua was right. In Joshua 24, as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. Whoever you serve, that's your God. Wherever you put your time and your talent and your treasure, that's your God. Whatever you do about the things that God gives you in this life, whatever you do with them, however you set those things up, can determine whether you're giving those to your God or they themselves have become a God. 
Money can become a God. Power can become a God. Materialism, in and out for sure. (laughs) But to desire anything other than God himself, the Bible says is covetousness. Now, that doesn't mean that you can't enjoy life. Let me be really careful because I don't want to bum anybody out. If you've got motorcycles, you love to go to the desert, praise the Lord. Bible doesn't say you can't go have a good time on a dirt bike. But if you don't have time to serve the Lord, you don't have time to spend with the King of Kings because of your dirt bikes, then you have another God. The same thing is true for a classic cars. The same thing is true for shopping. There's nothing wrong with shopping. In fact, Proverbs 31 says that that woman considers a field and buys it. That's big time shopping, amen? So ladies, you're free. It's okay, but if shopping becomes the only thing you think about, your only goal and aim, then you've got another God. If you constantly park your car on Crenshaw, someplace near Airport Drive, and you have to smell the smell of In-N-Out, you've got an issue. (laughs) We will become like the God we worship. We'll start looking like our money. We'll start looking like our playtime. We'll, we'll, we'll stop looking like we should look, which is Jesus. We are supposed to be the image of Jesus. His grace, his mercy, his kindness, his gentleness, his meekness, his self-control. Against such things there are no law. You don't need a law against goodness. You don't need a law against self-control. You don't need a law against beautiful speech. You don't need a law against truth, do you? Truth speaks for itself. And so today, make sure that you're walking in the light of his truth. You know, what we believe makes a difference in our lives. What you think does matter because it will affect how you live your life. Little things can become big things. Shed a tear for Jimmy Brown. Poor Jimmy is no more. For what he thought was H2O was H2SO4. For you who are chemists, That's the difference between water and sulfuric acid. You can take the same ingredients and you mix them wrong. That's not a good thing, amen? Make sure that you have pure Jesus in your life. Would you stand and we'll close in prayer. Amen. you're here today and I'm I'm just going to pray for all of us because all of us can use help with these things myself included but if you're here today and you don't know the Lord Jesus you you've come and you can honestly say I I don't really believe that I have a relationship a personal relationship with Jesus Christ we have a team in our prayer room and after service we'd love for you to go there and they'll share the the gospel message with you in a clear and concise way because we really do not want you to leave this place without a relationship with Christ. 
It's the most important, and it's really the only step that matters until you make that step. But for us as the church, God just wants us to grow. So don't be dismayed. Don't be upset. Just be willing to change. Be willing to call a cab. Amen? Dial up Jesus and say, look, I need some help here. Did you command this? I know you're allowing it, but is it good for me? And would you please give me your best? Father, thank you for your goodness to us, your word, Lord, which is truth. And we pray, God, that you would speak into our lives as areas where we need to be a little more careful or those areas that maybe we're dabbling and we shouldn't. Lord, those areas where we've taken a liberty and it's dangerous. Lord, would you help us to be very discerning in these last days about your truth. Lord, help us to walk in it. And Lord, I want to pray if there's anyone here that does not know you, they've not invited you in as Savior, as Lord, to forgive their sin, that they would not leave this building without going and praying to receive you as their Savior and Lord. Father, we thank you for the work of your Spirit. We pray that you'd bless us. Send us out with joy. Lead us with peace, Lord. In this crazy, mixed-up world, we need your peace. We thank you that we have it in you. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.